Hey, good morning. I'd like you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Galatians 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6 down through verse 10. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as long as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to the household of faith. This morning, we uh, are moving into the last portion of this beautiful letter. Uh, Next week, Doug will bring us to the conclusion of this letter. And what you're going to find is happening is that Paul's kind of signing off. Uh, He's moved from a deeply theological book into very serious practical implications of biblical truth. Folks, God's truth, theology, always aims to transform and change you. And Paul is now in this letter making a very natural move from wonderful truth to how it begins to manifest itself in the outworking of our lives. You know, as I read through this text, and I think the, the full overview of this five to six verses is, it raises a question in my mind, <clears throat> for your sake and for my sake. Do you ever get tired while doing good? Do you ever get tired while doing the right thing? You know it's what God wants. You know it's the right thing to do. That's abundantly clear to you. But there are times that we get tired or weary in doing good. Uh, This is a text that aims to encourage our hearts in doing good to others. I'm going to make an observation about this idea of doing good from the broader context of the book. Okay, this book has talked about people that think that their relationship with God is maintained by performance, and then those that know that their relationship with God is maintained by God's grace. One working by the Spirit, one working in the flesh. This idea of rule-keeping as a means of maintaining status makes us self-centered and selfish. It focuses on my accomplishments and on what I deserve or earn. Whereas the gospel of pure grace, understanding that my standing with God and my progress in God is owing to His work, that idea, when it is properly understood and treasured in our hearts, makes us generous because in Christ I have been undeservedly and richly and abundantly blessed. The assumption in this text is that those who have come to know in a deeper way the blessing of God in Christ, that it, 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 the assumption is that they will be motivated to become doers of good for those around them. Okay, so Paul is now moving from this beautiful gospel message that fills with gratitude and joy. And he says to you, now put into practice, let that joy energize doing good to others. Okay, so if I focus on my performance and my accomplishments and what I deserve, I will not be a person who does good to others. 
but when I know that I have been richly blessed, been richly blessed, and this is what First John is saying, isn't it? We love him because he first loved us. We are generous to others because Christ has been generous to us. Think about the blessings that you have received in Christ and begin to express those blessings to others. The, the only durable motivation for Christian living is not the accolades of people. People will not notice what you do. The enduring motivation is that I am saved by the grace of God and that my position and my progress, anything you see good emerging, anything that you notice in your personal life progressing and improving is owing to God's grace. That will allow you to be overwhelmed with the gratitude that changes how you relate to other people. Grateful people are serving people. Selfish people are not serving people. And the gospel of grace makes you so incredibly grateful that you want to be a blessing and you want to do good to others. It's interesting then in the text, verse 6 drops into place. He says, those who receive instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Interesting statement. It, It is clearly a text that is talking about those that are given the task in the body of Christ of teaching the truth of God and those that receive the truth of God. The Greek word literally is katatizo. We get our word catechism from that, right? Catechism is a a body of truth that is foundational or fundamental truth about a particular topic. In this case, about the gospel of grace and about the Christian life. Paul says those that catechize should receive support from those that are catechized. So if I am being taught, the assumption is that I have received a benefit or advantage through that teaching. And my response should be to be a blessing to those that have brought the word of God to me. Now, this is always a topic that I dread, okay? Because obviously it it begins to indicate in a pretty strong way that those that teach in the context of church life and take that on as a vocational responsibility experience support from people so they, they can do that more continually and more effectively. All three of those that teach in our church are bivocational, meaning we all work outside of the church and receive some support from the church. Okay, and this text is simply saying those that have received an advantage should pass that advantage on, that benefit on. Does that make sense? Okay, there's a, the idea is one of reciprocation. The, the word that Paul uses here is a fascinating word. He says they should share, that's the word in the New Testament for fellowship. Okay, and fellowship is a reciprocal experience. Okay, it's an experience in which I receive a blessing and benefit and I return a blessing and benefit. Okay, and there should be in your life a number of relationships where something is shared with you and you're sharing back and there is this cycle or circle of blessing that sustains the body of Christ. We all need that because we do get weary in well-doing, right? We need that prod. We need that word of encouragement, that attaboy. We we need that. And this text is saying in a very particular way that those that teach the word of God should be in some way encouraged by the people within the church in a reciprocal fashion. A principle of reciprocity and mutual life sharing together. I think this is interesting in church life because... Sometimes I wonder how people perceive their experience at church. Meaning, you come into this place, do you come primarily to receive? And at one level, I'm going to say, coming with an expectation that I'm going to receive something that's a blessing is appropriate. But if I come to church as a customer, 
or as a consumer. Okay, I'm missing the point. Okay, it is meant to be a relationship of reciprocation where those that are teaching are encouraged by the ones taught and the ones taught are encouraging the ones teaching and each other. There is a family dynamic that emerges here. It's why Paul, back in chapter 4, made it a very strong point to say about the church in Galatia, I have labored over you, the exact word that's used for a mom giving birth. I have labored, I have poured out energy over you because that's what ministry is. A pastor should never be a hired gun who communicates truth for a check. May God forbid that thought. But a pastor is someone, the word literally means a shepherd. Someone who watches over a flock, takes deep personal concern for them and ministers to them. Paul says, I've labored over you like a mom labors over a child until Christ is formed in you. What is Paul saying? I am passionately committed to your progress in Christ. And there is a response that should come from those that encourage you that way. That says, I want to do the same for you. Okay, that's the onus, or if you will, the burden that emerges from this text. Support in context, then, is sharing life together. And sharing in context is one of the ways that we do good to all men. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's this broad doing good that is manifested in a specific illustration. Secondly, there is in the text a warning. It's impossible to read this text and not get a sense of caution, a sense of, I need to be careful. Had this happen to me earlier this week. I was towing a trailer with my truck, and I was going about 25 miles an hour. I have a manual shifter on, my, uh, on the stick that comes out, the, uh, the shifting mechanism on my truck. There's a button on it for downshifting. And I was being relatively cautious. There was mist. The roads were a little bit damp. And there were warning signs. And they had my attention. So I was already slowed down. What I didn't realize is that when you hit that, hit that downshift button in a diesel truck, it's like hitting your brakes fairly hard. I had one of those thank you God moments. My truck went into a complete four-wheel drift. Trailer rotating around. I, somebody said to me, did you sing the song Jesus Take the Wheel? I said, no, Jesus stopped the slide. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is appropriate. I'm going to say this. I, I had a, one of those procedures you get after 50. I felt like I almost did my entire prep in like three seconds, if you catch my drift, okay? I was terrified. And the only reason I was going slow enough that it didn't result in absolute catastrophe is that there along that road by this reservoir were warning signs. Heeding those warning signs is not meant to restrict your joy. It's meant to preserve it. This text is a clear warning. It is a caution, high voltage, dangerous. It is meant to preserve happiness in the body of Christ. It is meant to preserve joy and to motivate you to become someone who doesn't move into selfishness, but instead becomes committed to doing good to others. So that the gospel of grace is so rich in my life that it begins to overflow in benefit for those around me. That's what this idea of sharing in context is about. And in verse 7, Paul says, do not be deceived. The idea literally means don't live under an illusion. Don't accept an alternate reality that's not real. 
God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Those are three statements that I hope put a, a respectful fear of God in us as his church and as his children. This is the law of harvest or the law of returns as some has, have called it. It is based upon a simple rationale. And the simple rationale of this text is God is not mocked. He is not disregarded successfully. Is God ever ignored? The answer is absolutely. Is God ever mocked? The answer is absolutely. I see it all the time. Is he ever successfully ignored and mocked and belittled? Okay, that's what this text is going after. So we find this warning, this law of harvest. You can't make a fool of God successfully. This text now, what follows, is based on an absolute principle and an unavoidable, uh, unavoidable law of nature. If you sow kernels of corn in the ground, do not expect cotton. When you sow kernels of corn into the ground, you should expect a harvest of corn. That is an unavoidable law of nature that Paul brings from agriculture into the realm of spiritual life. He wants them to remember by via simple illustration this powerful and important principle. It serves as a strong caution and a strong warning. Don't be foolish in your thinking by thinking that sin can be contained, that little seeds of compromise will not be of consequence. It's a life from the pit of hell. So from this picture of harvest, what are the basic principles that emerge. I'm just going to fire off four simple thoughts about farming, about agriculture. And I I think it's interesting because in this valley that we live in, uh, Warren Valley is just a a beautiful place. I was in in Texas, uh, in Houston, when my daughter and son-in-law still lived there last March, went to the Houston Rodeo. And I sat beside a guy at the cattle auction which, and cattle judging, which I had no clue what was going on. But I got talking to this guy. I said, he said, where are you from? And I said, uh, New Jersey. He is from Houston, Texas. He said, oh, what part of New Jersey are you? And I said, we live in a, a county called Warren County. He said, oh, did you know that's the most productive corn soil in the entire country? I said, well, I live somewhere. <laughs> at least in Houston, I live somewhere. Here's what I observe, okay? Farming is not riding around on tractors. Okay, I was a dairy farmer for three years. I didn't own the farm. I worked on one when I was 13 to 16 years old, one of the, some of the best years of my life. My favorite time was when the farmer said, hey, you want to get on the tractor and go out and disc that field or plow that field? I was like, yes. Why? Because that was the most enjoyable part of the job. Farming is hard work, principle number one. Sowing the right seed, doing the right thing in your Christian life does not come naturally. I have to defeat my flesh in order to do good to others. Farming is hard work. Harvest is determined by what is sown. This you could call the law of returns. It's God's law. What you sow, you will reap. Be careful because living is sowing. Living is choices day by day. Living is seed sown in your life. And that seed one day will grow. And it will bring a harvest. 
The harvest is determined by what is sown. This text speaks of two kinds of sowing. It speaks of bad sowing and good sowing. Paul says in verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh, meaning they sow certain seeds to get certain experiences and consequences, results. And here's what he says. The one that sows to the flesh, from the flesh, will reap destruction. And the word is interesting here because the word for destruction is the word that we would use if we were Greek speaking. It's the word that we would use to describe rotting fruit. Now, I'm not attracted to fruit when it's beautiful, okay? This is the fact. Well, I, don't, I, I just can't eat it. I, I think it's beautiful, and I find it attractive. But even amongst people that love fruit, I don't hear people talk about craving rotting produce. Okay, there's something about rotting produce that you want to keep your distance from. And this text says, if I sow to the impulses and desires of my flesh, which Paul talked about earlier in chapter 5 and verse 19 and follow. You remember? The fruit of the flesh is, and the picture is repulsive. Paul says, if I sow to the flesh, from the flesh I will reap a destruction or a breaking down. The word that I like to think about is the idea of disintegration, a breaking apart. That's what sin does in our lives. It, it breaks us down. It weakens us. It, it tears at our basic constitution. And so Paul gives the warning. The idea here is not that God is vindictive and harsh, but that there is in nature and life, a process of moral consequence. What a man thinks in his heart, or as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So what you see manifested in someone's life is who they really are. In spite of the sports commentator's efforts to say, he's not like that, he is. And so am I. When you see ugliness in my life, it's because there's ugliness in my heart. And the result of that is that it takes the thing that God aims to be beautiful, the fruit of my life, the fruit of the Spirit picture from Galatians 5.22, that the Spirit wants to promote and produce and encourage in us so that the picture becomes attractive and draws people, is ruined by selfish tendencies. And we have to to fight that. You have to identify in your life the areas where you tend to be selfish and, and concerned about your own promotion, and you need to put that to death. And then this text says, but he that sows to please the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, so I find disintegration in sin, and I find, if I can use this word, reintegration in Christ, a a, a remaking by God, a new creature emerging, a, a beauty that comes in the life of those who live and sow by the Spirit. And so we talked two weeks ago about walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, and the importance of, of sowing in my daily life choices driven by what God wants so that the outcome is the fruit of the Spirit that is beautiful and attractive. And then when I look at it, I say, I want that in my life for the glory and honor of God. It's interesting that what results here is life eternal. Sowing to the Spirit brings restoration. 
And the effect of that work cannot be contained. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. I think this text is pointing in that direction. You see, the abundant life is not a personal experience. It is a life transformed that begins to benefit the whole community because we are in a fellowship. We are in a family, brothers and sisters. God wants to do good in your life so that his body, the church, begins to blossom and overflow with beautiful fruit that is attractive to the watching world. Your future experience of joy in Christ is determined by your choices today. A choice to yield to the Spirit as He prompts, as He directs, as He leads and convicts in a certain area. Wants you to cast something off so that He can bring something on. You see, every one of the, every one of the commandments that God gives and directs to, in our lives by the Spirit, they have a negative, but they also have a positive in them, don't they? The command to not kill is a command to love others. And the Spirit is prodding in that direction. The command to not steal is a command to be generous to others. The command to not covet is a command to be happy for the blessings and joys of others. Do you see how it starts to work? Those that sow to the Spirit from the Spirit reap life everlasting. The promise in context is not material abundance. The promise in context is abundant transformation of your life. As you say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit, and God begins to take over control by the Spirit of more and more of your life, and something beautiful begins to emerge that is compelling and attractive to the world around us. The third principle that I would share with you this morning is this. The harvest far outweighs what is sown. And this is true on the negative side and the positive side. I did a little research yesterday, forgive me. I, 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 I just thought to myself, if that principle is true, that the harvest far outweighs the sowing, that means small indiscretions can lead to large problems and massive effect, right? So I did some research since we live in Corn Valley. I looked up how many kernels of corn are produced from one kernel sown in the ground. Now, because we live where we live, and, and there's farms all around our house in the immediate proximity. I pass them every day, and I hear them all fall into about February at night. They keep me awake because they're right behind my house. And the dryers are going, and the augers are going, and filling trucks and shipping out an abundance of corn. And here, here's, here's the facts. One kernel of corn produces... 700 kernels per ear, and around here, as I count, many of the stalks that farmers are growing corn on today produce three ears. That means for every one seed sown, I'm getting 2,100 back, which helps me to understand what's happening right now. I see triaxles full of corn, and in the spring, I saw like a skid of seed sitting in that field. That skid of seed has become tandem loads of corn. That's encouraging. If someone of my capacity is simply faithful, and I mean my capacity being average, if my average capacity 
is faithfully put to work, what will God do? And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. In doing good, in getting involved in the life of others, which is the immediate context, verses 1 to 4, burden bearing and sharing. What will happen if we make minor adjustments in our lives that begin to sow good seeds that grow? How much fruit will God bring? See, that's why I think this text is at once negative and incredibly positive. Because this law that the harvest outweighs what is sown is a dramatic, beautiful truth that I hope begins to change our lives. And the last principle, harvest requires patience. This is probably the hardest part of Christian living, the long run. When God saved you, he called you to change your life, not your day, your life. And to live out the Christian life, to to be faithful, to be committed, to do what God wants on a regular basis can at times be exhausting for my flesh. True, right? It's a long run. And what does Paul want you to remember? He wants you to remember that for every seed sown, there is a harvest that will blow your mind coming. You would never expect that all of that could come from this. And he wants you to get captured with that that picture of sowing and reaping. And so what he says in verse 9 is... Let us not become weary in doing good, which is good sowing. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give in. So what's my temptation? My temptation is to say, I'm tired. And I'd rather reach for the bench than the finish line any day. I would rather rest than strive. Paul says, if you rest, you diminish the harvest that glorifies God. But if you strive, and if you don't grow weary, the word uh, here for for growing weary is, is, is to give in to hard circumstances, to lose heart, or literally to become a coward. To think it's not going to grow, it's not going to happen, the harvest isn't going to come. And you talk yourself out of God's blessing in your life. And you stop doing good. Here's God's promise to you. There is always a delay between sowing and reaping. But the harvest is coming. The harvest that will bring joy and plenty and abundance in your spiritual life. That will become a blessing to those around you. So that the church of God becomes healthy and attractive. And life altering. It's hard. At the proper time is God's time. According to his plan, the challenging truth of this text is now turned to comforting truth. In long seasons of obedience, without result, trouble, without reprieve, trust in God's law of harvest. This is a promise to cling to. You will reap if you do not faint. 
If you stay faithful and you say, God, I trust you in this difficult season to do good through my meager efforts, a harvest of good is coming. Many in our church family, and I think I could say this in any church that I would stand in today, are in long seasons of difficult obedience, caring for a loved one, working at your marriage, dealing with a difficult child that's trying and testing you, a difficult working situation, loving an unkind person or neighbor. The text implies clearly that God sees, knows, and takes note of your struggle and controls the outcome. That's the truth I need to hear. That when the battle is hard and when the struggle is intense and long, the law of harvest is unvoidable. And God calls us to faithfulness. Those who do good will see the benefit of fruit in God's time. I was thinking uh, the other day of my, uh, my oldest daughter who, who was in to visit for a couple of days with the two grandkids. And I thought about the analogy of parenting, particularly mothering, and the incredible challenges and struggles of that. When little one is staying in our house, I hear cries at three in the morning. I don't have to get out of bed. Our daughter drove up here from down near Ocean City, New Jersey on Thursday. Exit 4 off of Route 78, she hears an eruption in the back seat. Someone's sick. Who's got to take the car apart? Who's got to take the car seat apart? Not me. (laughs) I'm selfish. No. I would just double the problem. You put me in there cleaning that stuff and be like, there's a little bit more work to be done. And thankless work, right? Very few people would ever know all the effort that a mom puts forth. This was the text I'm studying in that circumstance, watching her do everything she does. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't throw in the towel. That's God's promise. That's not my promise. I'm just sharing that with you today. So you may be tempted to give up. You may think the road's gotten hard. It's long. It's all kinds of things. This text calls you to faithfulness. And now it's going to move in a very specific way into our lives. Verse 10. Here's what the text says. Therefore. Okay, now I want you to get the connection. In light of this principle related to sowing and reaping. Therefore, in light of that law of great returns. In light of that. As we have opportunity, seasons, okay, that's the idea. As we have time, opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to the household of faith. You see what Paul's doing? Now he's drawing a conclusion from this powerful, unvoidable truth in nature by God's design. A broad call to do good. So you had one for leadership. Do good to those that help you. That's the idea. Here's the principle that follows. You reap what you sow. How does that affect my life? Here's how it affects my life. When I understand that, 
I become a person who seeks opportunities to do good to all people, but particularly to the household of faith. Here's how that works out. Let me just give you this brief explanation. Let us is a, a verb in a in, a, it, it, in, in the Greek, it's called hortatory. Not that it matters to anything to you, but it, it, it's, it's all of us. It's a let us. It's a grab each by the other by the hand and say, let's go do this. It's somebody sending out a text stream saying, here's a need. How can we do this? The assumption is that the Christian life and burden bearing and sowing and reaping is done in the context of community for group benefit. Not to enhance your personal life. It's to help everyone become what God wants them to be. We are always to be conscious of the broader picture so that it's not just us and mine and me and my family. That is not your only God-given responsibility. We need to kill the idea that being a good parent is being a good Christian. And we need to raise up a new idea that says good parenting and loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and loving your community is being a good Christian. May God deliver us from very myopic thinking that we're focused on one thing. Now, let me say this. Okay, to those that are parents, especially with little ones. Okay, it's hard to find margin in your life. And there are seasons for you to focus on what's right in front of you. Okay, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Okay, my daughter, by demand, especially from the older child, is focused on what's in front of her. It's by necessity. I understand that. Some of you, uh, Trish, I know you and Rich are caring for your dad, okay, and, and for new little grandchildren. It's, there are times that we live with a little bit of tension, right? But we've got to work that out. So the, 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 the overarching picture of our life is that while we've been taking care of family, we've been sensitive to the needs around us, which we may meet in different ways now than we will later when we have more time. But please make sure that you don't plan to check out at some point in your life when you have enough. Make sure you plan to stay involved in the ways that you can in the season of your life. And I thought of Betty Freezer when I, when I studied this text. I thought of someone who was basically, towards the end, home-ridden and impactful. See, my sickness is an excuse. My weakness, my limitations aren't excuses. There are opportunities that are emerging in your life every day. The question is, am I committed to what this text says in sowing and reaping? Doing good to all men, but especially the household of faith. Which means I have a higher obligation to Chuck Dorn than I do to Joe on the street. But it doesn't mean I don't have an obligation to him. Here's what happens. The gospel that Paul's been describing fills your heart with gratitude so much so that you can't keep it to yourself. You would by law feel selfish. God didn't give you all of that for your benefit. He gave it to you to make a difference. He gave it to you to do good. The time that he frees up in your life, and I can't wait. By the end of this week, Lord willing, I will be freed up from a house that has had my attention too much. Can't wait to be free. What else does God want? Okay, do good to all men, but especially do good to the household of faith. This is the, the call. And my, my burden in church life for years has been, we must find a context for doing good. And uh, here's, my, here's my pastoral conviction. Okay, I don't think that all that God wants from us can happen on Sunday morning. That's my conviction. 
think it takes a little more to go a little deeper, to be connected more intimately with one another so that we can know the needs that are present and do good in that context. See, if I just pass people and sit in the cafe and talk to them, it's hard to be close enough to know what's going on in their life. It's hard. I think it takes just a little more. It takes getting involved in some way, starting a small group in your home, getting a couple friends together that you've experienced life with and saying, just informally, let's just get together and pray and share burdens and think about ways that we can make a difference in the life of others. May God put that burden on our heart to... And, and this is true, even in Sunday school, as Christian mentioned so beautifully, in the context of, of serving kids, you're meeting other people, you're hearing about needs, you're helping. Stay engaged, stay involved. Don't let the flesh consume you in selfish living, please, for the sake of God's church. Why do it? Why do it? For in due season you will reap. If you don't faint. When I think of our friend Betty, I think, just the other day I was thinking, I wonder what she's doing today. Here's the song that came to mind. In the midst of sacrifice and selflessness and cost. Here's the old hymn that came to mind. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race. So, 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 till we see Christ. And pour your life out, doing good to others until he comes. And as you do that, seek opportunities as people are attracted to the fruit that God is bringing in your life to tell them where it came from. Tell them of the one that changed your life. And then do what Jesus did. He got involved with a group of people and he was with them. And he discipled them and he served them and he loved them and he sacrificed for them. And he says to you and I, what you saw me do, go and do it and watch the harvest emerge that God designs for your life. See, the thing that will kill God's plan for your life is selfishness and flesh. Sinful self-interest is devastating. Jesus calls us to lift up our eyes. That's what he says to the disciples. Lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. There's a work to do for the chapel. And it's a glorious work. It can't be done by anyone. It has to be done by the team. That's God's design. Father, would you help us as we go from this place today to remember the principle of sowing and reaping. Lord, perhaps this morning some of us are sowing seeds that will bring devastating consequence that we think can be controlled. God, help us to find someone we can confess to and be free from that sinful tendency. Lord, some of us are too busy. We're too caught up in our schedule. 
and we don't have time to do good. Therefore, we're not sowing and we won't reap what is good. So we need you to challenge our hearts and reignite in us a passion and a desire to make a difference by doing good, by sensing and meeting needs of those around us. So Lord, I believe that your spirit works in powerful ways. I believe that right now as we pray, someone is thinking of someone they need to reach out to. Father, give them willingness. Give them passion to follow through, to sow a seed today. That will do something amazing. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you gave off for us. We thank you that we have an example of selfless sacrifice that drives and motivates and saves. And if someone here this morning doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today they may trust in the one who gave it all so they could be forgiven and set free. Help us, Jesus. Help us to sow well and to enjoy a great harvest. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.